making henry smile oh henry what a marvelous christmas this has turned out to be and i never thought i would say that again after you died i'm sitting here alone in my old armchair in our quiet living room with only the mute television for company but the quiet is filled with happy memories of a wonderful day and in its own way quite a wonderful year before it and so i'm happy now you know a lot of this but not today's adventure so i'm going to recap it all for you in sequence it started as you know at the dentists My dentures were making an awful clacking old lady noise whenever I opened my mouth and a lisping hissy sound when I spoke. It drove me demented and I was driving the poor dentist crazy. I knew it, but I had to get rid of that noise or it would drive me to my grave. Not that I minded going there since I'm just waiting to join you anyway. Now don't scold Henry. So when I said that to the dentist that got him right fired up too. I was not to give up on life and I was still healthy and strong and who knew what wonders awaited me. I snorted at that, but it charged him up to make a greater effort for me. Anyway, I was sitting in that lobby of that clinic too often for my own good. That's where I saw this young lad. He must have been having some laborious dental procedure too because he was there just as often. His leg had a nervous shake and the whole bench shook and shuddered with him. He was uncomplaining like the rest of us, but what I noticed right away because it was so unusual was that he was a reader. Kids his age usually have their cell phones, but this lad always had a book and his reading was all over the place detective or adventure fiction books on sports and sports people as expected but also books on photography mythology self help travel history and even biographies i started looking out for him and more than once i was tempted to ask if i could borrow his books though i managed to control myself you'll be proud to know As I said, he had this habit of shaking his leg, and every so often it would result in his shoelace unraveling. He would patiently retie it over and over again. After I had seen this dozens of times and not interfered, I lost the battle for self-control, and approaching him as subtly as ever I could, I asked Would you like to learn to tie that shoelace so it never opens up of its own accord? He looked up from the offending shoe as if he was seeing me for the first time. So I told him I'd noticed it causing him endless bother. After the initial confusion at being approached in this nosy parker fashion, no one can say I don't know my faults, Henry. He rapidly recalibrated and admitted it would be the answer to a prayer that he had tried many so-called foolproof methods 
that none had worked, yet he was always willing to try another. I told him all about your ancestor in the Hungarian cavalry, Henry, of whom we knew only this, that he'd needed to have shoelaces that didn't come undone at inconvenient moments, and who'd sent down the generations this simple but absolutely reliable method. I showed it to him, and in a few attempts he had it bat, and we took it for a test run. The next few minutes were filled with a comradely tension as he shook his foot as usual, and we exchanged covert glances and silly grins every few seconds that the shoelace stayed tight and trim. Of course the gods conspired, and I was called in for my session, having waited through countless shoelace unravelings unsummoned. He gave me a rueful grin as I went in, and I gave him a cheery wave. I was sure we'd meet again, and I would discover how this panned out. I trudged off to get my clackety-clack sorted out, and on my way out, stopped at the reception to say thank you, as always, when the girl at the counter stopped me. She said Paul had left a message for me, which was intriguing since I had no idea who Paul was. The note said, It works! Thank you so much! I'm truly grateful, Paul! And there was a smiley face with very crooked teeth under his name. So, of course, I knew who Paul was then, and I thought it was very considerate of him. For all, he was a teenager, and boys are usually at their very worst at that age. Your ancestor had saved another life, I thought, Henry, as nothing is more exasperating than a shoelace that will not stay tied. We kept meeting off and on, he thanked me very properly and said the system had worked with all his shoes and he was now a big fan of the Hungarian cavalry. We laughed at that and he wondered if there was any truth in the family myth. Surely, buckles were more military style. We should Google it, he said, and I said I might, if I remembered the next time I was at the library. So he whipped out his cell phone and did it right there in the dentist's waiting room. And I said, I wish I knew how to do clever things like that. And he said, he could teach me. Where was my phone because it was no use teaching me on his? I was surprised, to put it mildly. Most teenagers avoid anyone except their own peer group. And here was this youngster casually volunteering to teach me. Well, the short version of the I said and he said and I did and he did is that he downloaded some apps there and then saying I was hopelessly behind the curve and there was no way he could get me to start without them. So would it be okay? I gave him the nod and in a short while he handed the phone back to me and started issuing directions step by step until I had pecked out the inquiry myself. Henry, I'm so sorry to tell you this, dear. They were huge boots, knee-high, with buckles and straps and a chain at the ankle. No laces anywhere. I hid this from you earlier, I think, and I still feel slightly traitorous. Either your ancestor was family fiction or his story was. 
But it doesn't matter, dear, because the knot works and that's the most important thing. Paul said we were now one all, since we had each taught the other something useful. I said that was hardly fair, since what he had taught me was actually a door through which I could enter to learn many new things and was far more valuable. But he said, I had no idea what a blessing it was not to be retying his shoelaces every few minutes. And so, we were even, and he was to be the best judge of that. From then on, we each came ready with ideas of what to teach the other. And you know all about that because many's the time you've given me the ideas. Visits to the dentist became a pleasure to be looked forward to. And the shaking leg, I confess I no longer noticed it, though we always sat beside each other. He showed me stuff with the cell phone mostly, all kinds of tricks, shortcuts he called them. I introduced him to views and subjects he didn't know existed. I talked of books and he talked of articles and research on the net. I set him tests to investigate strange phenomena of the world and he reciprocated by asking me to book flights and hotels online as if I was actually going there. Best of all, he taught me to type with two thumbs, replacing my old and inefficient one-finger hunt and peck. He liked to learn little seemingly insignificant things, offering elders a shoulder instead of a hand at the steps, for instance, or how to go through a door and then hold it open for a lady much less red rag to the bull, even for feminists. Youngsters have lost these niceties. He had a rollicking laugh when I told him the correct etiquette for steps was man's second going up, but first coming down, being there to break her fall if necessary. He said he didn't know too many ladies who fell down at the very prospect of steps. And I told him he was too young still but the information would come in handy when he got to our age. One day I realized that Paul had become a friend. Too young and so unlikely, but still a friend. And I started dreading the day the dentist got my dentures right because I was sure that would end our strange May-December friendship. But one day he ups and says, your speech is getting much better, Gertie. The hissing is gone and the clacking's almost gone. I don't think you'll have many more sessions. Why don't we meet at the library instead? I must admit I'd never thought of that. Why would a teenager want to meet an old woman like me? So I asked him straight out. I said I was touched by his kindness and I would love it, of course. But why would he want to? He said because it was fun for him to teach me new things and he enjoyed the stuff I was teaching him too. It wasn't all one-way traffic, he said. And that was so true, Henry. After you, I never thought I would find another person with whom I could explore again. Paul knows lots of modern stuff, but not much about the past. My knowledge goes the other way. We enjoy sharing our knowledge with each other, but also making discoveries together. I thought my interest in all that had died when you passed. 
this has become a chance to be mentally alive again. And so, we continued at the library. I'd often spend the whole week thinking of what would interest him, with you helping me to come up with something unique, like when it's okay to start eating at a formal dinner, as soon as you're served or after everyone is served. Of course, he told me that's all arcane nonsense since no one has formal sit-down dinners anymore. But I know he likes information like that. I also taught him all your fancy pocket square folding styles. He loved that. And he doesn't even own a pocket square. Often, when I'd get to the library, he'd be sitting there with a pile of books, ready and waiting. We didn't speak much about personal stuff, except I probably mentioned you fairly often, dear. And he mentioned his parents and younger sister. But where home was or school was or any of that stuff, I do confess I had no clue. In early November, the city puts on its Christmas finery. You know I love all the pomp and reverie of Christmas. But the day itself is a lonely one for singles, Henry dear, to be got through as quickly as possible. You sit alone at home with your dusty memories, knowing everyone is celebrating family and togetherness and you're outside the magic circle. And that a TV and books can't take the place of loved ones. So I was knocked ass over tea kettle when in the middle of a whispered discussion, Paul interrupted himself and asked me what I was doing for Christmas. Would I like to come to his place for lunch? I was completely taken aback. We did not have that kind of relationship. I think my eyes missed it up. No, I know my eyes missed it up. Paul grounded me by saying, Now don't go all old lady on me, Gertie. That made me laugh and I sidestepped the sentimentality by asking him if he had his mum's permission to invite me. He said he'd wanted to ask me first, but it should be no problem. They often had friends for Christmas lunch. So I told him it would be wonderful, but I'd only say yes after he had her okay. Which came in short order and I marvelled at this generous family and not for the first time wondered what they were like to have raised such an infinitely curious and knowledge-thirsty son. I chose my gifts carefully. You must remember, because we discussed it for ages. Chocolates for his mother, wine for his father, and a pretty scarf for his sister. For Paul himself, a gift voucher at a website where I knew he had his eye on a digital device and was hoping Christmas would bring it within reach. And I bought him a pocket square, though God knows he has no need of one. Before I met Paul, I wouldn't have known you could get gift vouchers on websites or how to get them. But now, I can navigate these sites like a pro. I have a separate credit card with a small credit limit and all the bells and whistles on my phone that my personal coach has taught me so I can keep myself safe. All laden with gifts, I arrived at the house earlier today, having successfully Google mapped my way. The city looked festive, and I was both excited and apprehensive 
to be out for lunch on Christmas Day and to be meeting Paul's family. I put a smile in my heart and rang the doorbell confidently. Paul's mother opened the door. She looked at me politely, but questioningly and blankly. And I struggled to hang on to that smile as it rushed out of my heart. I said, Hello, you must be Paul's mother. I'm Gertie and it's so kind of you to invite me. But I must have stopped talking at some point because her reaction was just so stunning. Her jaw actually dropped. She covered her mouth with her hand and shook her head and stared at me. She closed her eyes and opened them again and said, You're Gertie? And I said, Yes. I didn't know what else to say. And finally she said, Oh God, how mannerless of me. Please come in, Gertie. She helped me off with my hat and coat and woolen scarf. I know it's an old lady thing, Henry, but I get these sore throats and I'd rather wear the scarf than contend with that raspy throat all winter. Now hush and listen. You don't know any of this. We enter the living room. No Paul in sight. His father jumped up from his chair on seeing me and gave his wife a quizzical look. It was very disconcerting. Had Paul not got their permission to invite me? I'd never known him to fib. Yet Gertie was obviously known to them because when mum introduced me to dad as Gertie, he rearranged his face and came forward with his hand outstretched to welcome me. The sister, Irena, gave me the briefest of hellos and fled from the room, ostensibly to call Paul. Meeting Paul was a little awkward, since we'd never met in a social setting before. He introduced me properly to his parents and sister, naming me first as the elder and the lady, just as I'd taught him, and I marveled at how effortlessly he assimilated all these little niceties, as I thanked them again for inviting me. I put my gifts under the tree in the corner, where there was already a pile of gaily wrapped parcels. In the little lull that followed, I decided to take the bull by the horns and said, I couldn't help noticing that they'd been shocked to see me. You did clear it with them, didn't you, Paul? Of course I did, he said hotly. You said I could invite Gertie, Mum. Why were you shocked to see her? I did, Paul, you're right. It's just... She trailed into silence. What, Mum? Well, you know the others coming today are our age and Irena's. So when you asked if you could invite your friend Gertie, we just assumed she was your age. I swear I wanted the earth to open up and swallow me, Henry. I didn't know what to say. I don't blame them. Who expects their teenage son to be friends with a 70-year-old woman? It sounds so dirty. I know our friendship is completely innocent and even I was revolted. Don't you dare laugh, Henry. It was such an embarrassing moment. Did you never tell them how old I was, Paul? I asked gently. No, he said, sounding a little baffled. It never struck me. 
I know you're older than me, Gertie. I'm not an ass. But I just think of you as a friend. So your age never came up. Why should it? I don't understand what the big issue is, guys. I burst out laughing and crying at the same time. And there was a big fluster as tissues were rushed for. And Paul intoned sagely, Now you're being an old lady, Gertie. Which made me snort with laughter. When we'd all settled down again, I vowed it was a splendid Christmas gift. Not just that a teenager considered me his friend, which is quite a special gift all by itself, but that he'd actually dismissed the age difference as inconsequential. His mum lightened the tone by telling me I was getting a Christmas gift appropriate for a teenager, since that's whom she had been expecting. But I could always exchange it later. And I averring I never would, since it would be a reminder to me not to judge my friends on any standard except friendship. The rest of the afternoon was very normal. The food and chatter at the table was prodigious, with everyone weighing in willy-nilly. Gifts were exchanged and I received a pretty cornflower blue watch with a huge big dial. All the rage nowadays, though not quite the thing for a lady of my advanced years. But I'd learned a thing or two about judging people by their age that afternoon, and I was determined to wear the strange thing and see if I could pull it off. Paul gave me a separate gift, a book about architectural sites across the world. I told him he could borrow it after I'd finished reading it, and we exchanged a warm smile across the living room. He loved my gifts too, and shook out the pocket square immediately, bundled it into an elegant bunch and stuffed it perfectly into his pocket where it sat incongruously the rest of the afternoon. Who would have thought a teenager could be capable of such an elegant thank you? I left for home soon after that, determined not to outstay my welcome and to hold on to the festive jollity and good cheer as long as I could. And that's why this is such a marvellous Christmas, Henry. All my happy memories of Christmas are only with you. And to that happy list, I can now add this one too. And you must be smiling now, Henry. I'm sure of it. I always love to make you smile.